And tonight, what I want us to think about is just a simple subject, uh, wanted more laborers. Wanted more laborers. <clears throat> you have your Bibles open to Matthew chapter 20. And this is one of the most interesting stories in the whole Bible. And uh, I will mention a, a few minutes ago, what uh, a few minutes afterwards, uh, what brought on this parable, okay? Here it is, okay? Look at verse 1. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is an householder which went out early in the morning to hire laborers. If you underline your Bible, you, you might like to underline that word, just laborers. Because that's what we're thinking about. Wanted more laborers. Okay. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, a denaro, which was the average day's pay for labor at that time, he sent them into his vineyard. He went out about the third hour, nine o'clock in the morning. He saw others standing idle in the marketplace. Then he said to them, Go ye into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, I will give you. And they went their way. And again, he went out about the sixth hour, noon, the ninth hour, and did the same. In other words, Go work in my vineyard. Whatever is right, I'll give you. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing idle, and said unto them, Why stand ye idle all the day? Or why stand you here all the day idle? Let me read it right, okay? They say unto him, Because no man hired us. He saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall you receive. Verse 8. So when the evening came, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, that's another good word to underline, call the laborers and give them they're higher, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came <clears throat> that had been hired about the eleventh hour, five o'clock in the evening, they received every man a penny, a denarii. Okay? Look at verse 11. And when they had that had received, I'm sorry, let me read again, verse 11. And when they had received it, I'm, I'm sorry, look at verse uh, 10. I got a verse ahead. And when the first came, they supposed, look at that word, supposed. They supposed that they should have received more. And they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good men of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal 
unto us, which have borne the burden and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, how didst thou no wrong? Didst thou not agree with me for a penny, one denier? Take that is and go thy way. I will give unto the last, even as unto thee. Let's pray, Lord. I thank you for the good meeting we've had tonight. I thank you for the singing. Thank you for the uh, beautiful violin music from young lady tonight. Thank you for her, dear Lord, and her husband that are going to plant a church in Portland, Oregon. Thank you, dear Lord, for the testimony from Brother Jeremy about the Church Planners of America. Now, Lord, we pray you'll bless your word tonight. Help us to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. You're not going to stand the whole thing, okay? <clears throat> In chapter 19, just, and by the way, uh, so, so many times we, we let the uh, chapters divert us from what the scripture is really saying. In reality, it'd be good sometimes to read the Bibles without the chapters. Now, I'm glad we got the chapters and the verses, but that's not the way it was written, okay? It was written in paragraphs, just like any other writing was. But uh, what brought about this parable that I've read in chapter 20 was uh, a discussion that they'd had before that time. You remember last night, I, I didn't preach about it, but I just mentioned the rich young ruler that came to Jesus. And you remember him turning away because he had great riches. <clears throat> In chapter 19, we read about a rich man who came to Jesus inquiring about eternal life. And after the man turned back, Jesus said unto him, if thou wilt be perfect, go and sell what thou hast and give to the poor and thou shalt have eternal life. Then, of course, the man had great riches, so he, he turned away. Then Jesus spoke to his disciples about the curse of riches. By the way, have you ever stopped to think, thank God I wasn't born rich. Now, there's a lot of rich Christians, very wealthy, some of the greatest Christians in the world. Uh, I, I read today, uh, again, uh, about uh, David Green. And uh, David Green was from a family that everybody in the family, every one of the siblings was in full-time Christian ministry, but him. And his mother was always worried about him, you know. He thought, she thought he was backslidden and so forth. Uh, if you don't know who David Green was, he's the founder of Hobby Lobby. Uh, when they built the uh, uh, Bible Museum in Washington, D.C., David Green gave over $100 million 
Uh, I hope his mother lived long enough not to be embarrassed about him. Amen. <laughs> now, he was a very rich man. But I've, I've noticed something, and you probably noticed this if you've been around as long as I have. There are a lot of rich Christians. I mean, very wealthy Christians. But nearly every one of them got saved before they got wealthy. Huh? <clears throat> In other words, it is very difficult for real wealthy people to realize they need a Savior. So have you ever stopped to thank God? Thank God I was poor. And I recognized I needed a Savior. Anyway, you know, uh, uh, let, let's read just a little bit. Look at verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, that it is easier for a camel to go through the eyes of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. You say, what does that mean, Brother Steve? I don't have any idea. Uh, you ask Brother Will. He's a good student. Amen. But uh, Jesus said, and, and, and then the disciples. When the disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible. But with God all things are possible. Huh? In the vocabulary of God, there's no such word as impossible. Then I like what Peter said. Now, I wouldn't have done that. I'm too spiritual to do it. And, and most of you are, okay? Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Was Peter telling the truth? Oh, yeah. Jesus came along, said to Peter and his brother, follow me, and they left their boat and followed him. They had left everything and followed the Lord. He said, we have left all and forsaken thee. And then he said, what shall we have there for? In other words, okay, Lord, we've left everything. What's in it for us? Now, you wouldn't ask that, but aren't you glad Peter did? And by the way, the Lord did not rebuke him for that. Notice what he said, verse 28. Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, in other words, when the Lord comes back, sets up his kingdom, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, Ye also shall set upon the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And I like this. And everyone that has forsaken houses, our brethren, our sisters, our fathers, our mothers, 
our wives, our children, our wives, not wives, okay, let me recall it. Our children, our lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold and shall inherit everlasting life. Wow. What's in it for us, Peter said. And in essence, Jesus said, Peter, whatever you've forsaken for my sake, you're going to receive a hundredfold. You say, yeah, that's in heaven. No, read the Gospel of Mark. On this earth, okay, shall receive a hundredfold. So let's think about John or, or Matthew chapter 20. And uh, but before I do that, uh, let me call your attention to two other passages in the Bible, okay? One of them is Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. And you remember there, Jesus saw the great multitudes, and the Bible says he was moved with compassion on them. And then he said to the disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers, look at the word laborers. In other words, passage after passage after passage, Jesus is emphasizing laborers. Hey, by the way, the last thing we need in our churches are some Christian celebrities. Huh? The greatest need today, as was in the days of Jesus Christ, are for laborers. Laborers. The harvest truly is plenteous. Nothing wrong with the harvest. But the laborers are few. Okay, what's the answer, Lord? Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. As we sit here tonight in the church on planet Earth, there are 8 billion people. Conservatively speaking, one half of them have never, never heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The harvest is plenteous, but the labor, say not yet, say you're not there yet, four months and then comes the harvest. No, 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 no. Lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They're white already to harvest. They're ripe. And if we do not harvest them now, they'll be gone forever. So place after place in the Bible, you see the word labors. Let me show you one other passage. Look, if you would, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And uh, listen to the Apostle Paul. Let a man so account of us, and he's talking about him and the other disciples, okay, or the other apostles. And he's, I think he's talking about all of us, okay? Let a man so account of us as 
the ministers of Christ and the stewards of the mysteries of God. Uh, just for a minute, look at those two words. Number one, let us think about one another as ministers. Or you say, I'm not a minister. I'm not in the ministry. If you're saved by the grace of God, you're a minister. And re by the way, the same word here is translated in other places, servant. In other words, number one, we are all servants. And I've had some people, oh, I don't like the word servant. By the way, everybody on the earth, they serve somebody. For you were the servants of sin. Before you got saved, you know who you serve? You serve the devil. But you have become the servants of righteousness. You say, well, brother, sis, what's the difference? We're still servants. Sure. When you serve the devil, and you know what the devil wanted? He wanted to ruin your life and damn your soul. But now, we are the servants of righteousness. And what does our master want now? He wants to give us an abundant life. I'm come that you might, might have life and have it more abundantly. And he wants to take us to heaven with him for eternity. So he said, your servant. Then he used another word. So let a man account of us as ministers of Christ and the stewards. A steward. What's a steward? A steward is somebody that takes care of the business of somebody else. In other words, they don't own the business. They're stewards. Hey, by the way, Everything we have comes from God. Everything I have is a gift from God. God owns the entire universe. So in reality, I own nothing. But I am a steward of everything God puts into my hand. In other words, you, you remember the parable of the talents? The man going into a far country calls his servants, that's us, to get it. And he gives one man five talents. He gives another man two talents. He gives another man one talent. Have you ever heard the term, the, the saying, well, I guess I'm just a one talent person. Okay. Now, the talent has nothing to do with the abilities. Like you have the talent to play the piano, you have the talent to sing. No, no, no. It's a sum of money. And by the way, a talent in, in present-day economy would be equal to about a million dollars. So all of a sudden, I think, it wouldn't be bad to be a one-talent man, amen? 
Now listen to it. He called his servants and he gave unto them his money. He put it in their hands. He gave it to them. But it was still his. Because one day he was going to come back and he was going to find out what they had done with their talents. And when they came back, or when he came back, I don't know how long he's gone, doesn't say anything about that. But the five talent man, you can just, man, the master's coming back. It's a wonderful day. And when he got there, Lord, here it is. You gave me a five talent. Look here. I have gained five other talents. You remember what Jesus said in him? And don't you want to hear these words? Well done, good and faithful servant. Thou has been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many. Enter thou into the joy of the Lord. Two talent men. Man, master's coming back. Wonderful. Lord, you gave me two talents. I've gained two more talents. And guess what? He got the same reward. The five-talent man was responsible for the five-talent. The two-talent man was responsible for the two-talent. If the one-talent man had been faithful, he would have gotten the same reward. But oh, he said, no. My master's a hard master. He gathers where he had not strong, you know, hard master. And so he takes the talent and he buries it. You remember what the Lord said to him? Thou slothful and wicked servant. Wow, those are words we reserve for real bad people. Wicked. See, wicked is somebody that does things that I don't do. Huh? Wicked. No. What wicked thing did he do? You can't find one wicked thing that he did, except one thing. You know what he did? Nothing. Nothing. Here's the one talent. I hid it. Here it is. No. Hey, one day every one of us is going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and we're going to give an account to him for what we have done with what he put in our hands. Let me tell you some good news tonight. God is looking for workers. Uh, I think everywhere I go, I see one sign. Wanted. Laborers. Help wanted. Everywhere. Hey, by the way, there's no reason for anybody to be unemployed today. I mean, everywhere you go, you see the sign. Help wanted. Help wanted. Every time I read my Bible, I find the words. Help on it. Help on it. 
I, I love a passage over in Second Chronicles chapter 16. You know it. Listen to it. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. You know what I said? The eyes of the Lord run to and fro. There ought to be some people sitting here tonight say, Lord, you don't have to look any farther. I'm ready to serve you. I'm ready to labor. I'm ready to be your steward and your servant. Now with those things in mind, let me mention number one, the good news, God's looking for laborers. Think about it. He is looking for people who know and love him. No, there's no need for any Bible-believing child of God to be doing nothing for the glory of God. What's he looking for? He's looking for people that love him supreme. Uh, turn your Bibles over to Luke chapter 14 for just a minute. First part of that, you see the people going out, inviting the people to come in. All they have to do is come, and the banquet's all prepared. And eventually, a great multitude of people came. Now, now let's drop down to verse 25 in that, that Luke chapter 14, verse 25. And there went a great multitude with him following Jesus. And he turned and said unto them, think about it. The great multitudes was following the average preacher today. Uh, <laughs> they'd probably look at all of them and say, well, you folks are the smartest people in town. I mean, you're, you're following the right one. But I want you to notice what Jesus said. There went a great multitude with him. Then he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, I don't have to explain to you Brother Will's probably already done. That I ought to hate my wife. Husbands love your wife. He's not saying I ought to hate my parents. He's not saying I ought to hate my brothers and sisters. No. It's a theological situation. that your love for anyone else or anything else 
would seem as hatred in comparison. Now don't go out here and say to anybody, Jesus taught his disciples they ought to hate people. No, no. He's just saying, if you are going to work for me, what kind of people is he looking for? He's looking for peace, supreme love for him. Do you love him? You remember Peter? After even seeing the Lord having been resurrected, he decided, hey, I'm going back to the old way of life. I'm going fishing. And a bunch of other disciples, okay, we're going with you. They went out and fished all night. Jesus, on the seashore, said to them, Brethren, have you any meat? No, nothing. Nothing. Test your nets on the right side. They test their nets. And then Peter realized it was the Lord. 21st chapter there, it's a, it's a wonderful story. And Jesus gets together, feeds them breakfast. Then he says to Peter, Simon, Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Lord, you know I love you. Again, lovest thou me more than you? Lord, you know I love you. Lovest thou me more than these? And Peter was just, Lord, you know everything. You know I love you. You remember what he said? Feed my sheep. Peter, if you love me, do what I called you to do. We prove our love for the Lord by being obedient to what he tells us to do. What kind of a people? He's looking for people that have a supreme love. He's looking for people that have a selfless obedience. Listen to him. Luke chapter 14, verse 27. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Hey, by the way, look at the word cross in the Bible. In the Bible, the cross means only one thing. The cross means death. Now, what's he saying? If you're going to follow me, then you've got to bear your own cross. You know what he's saying? You've got to die to your own ambitions. You've got to die to your own desires. Uh, you, you've got to die to criticism. Uh, you've got to die to praise. If anyone will come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. That's a selfless obedience. Have you ever really thought about the words of the Apostle Paul when he says, What? No, you're not. You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, which is Christ. I don't belong to myself. You don't belong to yourself. 
we need to have a selfless obedience to Jesus. What's he looking for? Gets a little bit harder. Look at verse 33. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, cannot be my disciple. You know what he said? We need to put everything that we have at his disposal. Myself, Lord, I belong to you, whatever you want me to do. My possessions, Lord, they're not mine. I'm a steward. Whatever you want to do with them, I'll do it. Let me give you real quick three or four real simple things about Matthew chapter 20, okay? Number one, don't demand a contract from God. Uh, those first workers agreed for a penny a day. In other words, evidently, <clears throat> they got together. He said, I need some laborers. They said, we need a job. Okay, uh, what, what do we need? Okay, we will work for you for a penny a day. In other words, we will work for you if you give us a penny a day. Now, that's not a penny like we have, okay? That was the average pay for a day's work, one silver coin denaire. They made a contract. The rest of them didn't have a contract. He went out at the 9 o'clock in the morning. You remember what he said to them? Go work in my vineyard. Whatever is right, I'll give you. Could I mention tonight, God's a good paymaster. He doesn't pay off every day. Doesn't pay off every week. Doesn't pay off every month or year. He may not pay off in our lifetime. But my dear friend, we're going to live with him for eternity. And our God is a great paymaster. Don't desire contrary. Don't, don't say to God, dear God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do that. No, no, no. You don't need a contract for God. You find out what God wants you to do. And you say, Lord, I'll do it. I believe you'll give me whatever. Number two, don't think you deserve special treatment. Huh? I mean, you know, these men worked one hour. Paymaster, okay, here's your pay, a penny. Okay. And here, here's these that's worked all day. And they say, and they assumed that they would get a lot more. Could I mention, and this is not good for Americans, Americans are so possessed with entitlements. My parents owe me this. The government owes me this. I mean, you know, everybody, no, 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 no. Don't assume that people owe you anything. Huh? They don't. Don't assume God owes you anything. 
they assumed that they'd get more. And lo and behold, when they got their denarii that they had agreed to work for, they began to murmur. Number three, don't complain or become jealous because of what God does for others. Number four, don't be overly concerned about what you're going to get, but be very concerned about what you can give. Let me be, give you a simple personal testimony. Sometimes you hesitate to do this. But I was thinking today, Brother William, when I got back home from teaching you golf lessons, okay? By the way, I'll send you a bill for that, okay? I, I got I've thinking about my own, own life. And, and I, I thought about the different things that God has led Virginia and me to do. And, and I thought about three times in my life, okay, when I literally gave everything to the Lord. Okay? Uh, I went to work Keene's Foundry 1952. I was making a dollar an hour. 1955, I had become a core maker and you got paid by how much you produced and so forth. And I was the highest paid person in the foundry. Uh, in 1955, when I filled out my income tax, I had made $8,500. You say, well, that's not much money. 1955, $8,500 would have been equal, now get this, in 2022 to $85,000. We were getting ready to buy a new house. Paid for our little trailer we'd bought, getting ready to buy a new house. And then I began to realize God is calling me to preach. And... Uh, so you get to thinking, okay, if I'm going to be a preacher, i got to go to school. And uh, if I'm going to school, I'm, I'm going to have to quit my job. And, you know, you, you go through the battle like that. And I, I'd go to that house we were going to buy. It wasn't, wasn't a big, probably 1,500 square feet, something like that, just a beginner. But it looked like a mansion to us. And every time I'd go by and look at it, it got bigger and bigger. But we decided, well, we'll, we'll quit our jobs and we'll go back to Kentucky and go to Bible college. And we literally gave everything up, everything. We packed everything we had in a 51 Pontiac and went back to Kentucky. 1956, when I filled out my income tax, it was for $2,500. But you know something? I was happier with that $2,500 because I was where God wanted me to be. 
doing what God wanted me to do. Yeah, the devil, he made that house look so big and beautiful. Several years after that, I was preaching at Howard Anderson College at chapel service. After the service, I thought, I'm, I'm going by Gary, Indiana. That's where the house was. And just see what we gave up to be a preacher. So I drove by Glen Park, and I stayed up on the freeway. I wasn't about to go down in there. Murder capital of the world, the very slums. And I looked. I kind of laughed at the devil, and I said, yeah, you were right. I really had to give up a whole lot to be a preacher. Huh? It doesn't matter what you give up for God. God's going to give you something better than that. And that's exactly what the Bible teaches. After Bible college, I began pastoring a very good church in Kentucky. And uh, little by little, I began to realize I'm in the wrong place. The teachers in our schools were teaching that the first 11 chapters of Genesis was a myth, that the miracles are not reality. And you cannot depend on the inerrancy of the word of God. And I began to realize I'm in the wrong place. And uh, I mean, I had a good salary from the church. And things were going well. For some reason, even other churches wanted me and so forth. And I went to the convention, and I'll not mention what denomination it was. It was in the South. It was a Baptist, okay? And uh, I, I went to a convention, and I heard heresy being preached. And I said to a friend of mine, Archie Oliver, and he, he meant well. He was older than me and wanted to take care of me. And I said, Archie, I'm going back home, and I'm going to tell my people what we're supporting. And I never will forget what Archie said, and he meant well. I know he did. But he said, Don, you're going to ruin your life and your ministry. If you begin to talk like that, you're going to come to a place where you'll not have a place to preach. And I didn't say it to Archie. But all I could think was, if I have to compromise in order to have a place to preach, then I don't want to preach. So we left all of our friends. We left our security. Now, I think now, all these years later, God has given me so many more things. Uh, one other time, when we got ready to go to Japan, we literally sold everything we had just to get enough money to go to Japan. I left the convention two years earlier. The Independent Baptist didn't think I was a real independent. I hadn't been that long. And nobody else was going to help me. We sold everything we had. People came in. They bought the bedroom suit. They bought the living room suit. The only thing I hated to sell was a the car we had. It's the worst car Ford Motor Company ever made, Pinto. And I hated to sell that car because I knew whoever bought it would hate me the rest of their lives. 
Well, we sold everything we had. And we went to Japan with $500 a month support. Look at it again. Matthew chapter 19. And everyone that hath forsaken houses, we did. Brethren, sisters. After we went to Japan, we didn't get to see our brothers and sisters much. We didn't get to see our parents very often. Our mother, our wife, our children. Our land. For my name's sake. Hey, don't let the devil trick you. Don't let the devil trick you. It does not matter what you have to leave in order to do what God wants you to do because you can rest assured that God will take care of you. <laughs> I think so often. And that, by the way, nothing, nothing, no glory to me at all, okay? My brother Mark, I thought, I could land in just about any major city in the world, okay? And I could call a friend that would give me a place to stay and some food to eat. I tell you, when you got friends like that, you don't have to have a lot of money, amen? Huh? Don't demand a contract from God. God, if you'll do this for me, I'll do it. No, no. Don't assume God owes you anything. He doesn't. You say, Brother C.S., was it fair? Was it fair for those people to work all day long and get one penny? And the people are hard at, at 5 o'clock and get one penny. Was it fair? No, it wasn't fair. God is not fair. Thank God he's not. The wages of sin is death. If God was fair, I'd go to hell. But God is not fair. God is a God of grace. I mean, you only work one hour. Okay. Here's grace. I've often thought, remember what Jesus said there, that thief on the cross. This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Hey, that, those are good words. This day shalt thou be with Can you imagine when Jesus went to paradise and all the people, oh, wonderful, look, what's that thief doing here? That's God's grace. Thank God for his grace. Amen. Mark it down. Whatever, whatever you give up for God, God is going to give you something a whole lot better than that. Wanted help. In the nursery, we won't help. For Sunday school teachers, we won't help. 
for giving to the work of God. We won't help. Everybody, everybody ought to realize that we ought to be a good labor for God and that we are only his stewards. And that it were not for the grace of God, we would all spend eternity in hell. Question tonight. Have you experienced that grace? Has there been a time and a place in your life when you trusted Christ as your Lord? If not, this would be a good night to do that. You say, well, I made a profession of faith one time, but I don't know if I'm... Then you ought to get it right. Get it settled. God dealt with your heart. He, maybe maybe he's, he's been calling you. He, he, he wants you to be a preacher. He wants you to be a missionary. What, whatever. I don't know what he wants you to do. But whatever it is, this would be a good time to do that. You say, but I'm so young. It doesn't make any difference. When God deals with your heart about doing something, you ought to do it then. Amen. Whatever God says to you. You know, don't, don't you like the answer that, that Mary gave to the people that were at the wedding in Cana? When he said to those men, Jesus said, go fill these water pots full of water. And Mary said, whatsoever he said unto thee, do it. Why did she say that? I've watched him since he was a little baby and I held him in my arms. And I've watched him and everything he said has been right. Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. Let's pray together, Pastor. Lord, you've spoken to our heart tonight. Now we need to respond. I pray that you'd help us now during this time that we would be obedient to your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you if you're able to stand to your feet as the piano plays and you come. What's the Lord asked you to do? He's looking for laborers in His harvest. Will you go? Will you give? Will you pray? We're His servants. Everything we have comes from Him. Some of you have given up so much to serve the Lord. Maybe tonight the Lord's encouraged you and reminded you why you went about that in the first place. But maybe you've gotten discouraged along the way. Maybe you just need to come tonight and renew that commitment to the Lord. Thank Him for how He's blessed you and provided for your needs. And commit your life to Him once again in faithfulness to His call. You do what the Lord leads you to do. Come as the piano plays.